0: Chapter 42 of The Innocents Abroad by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. We are camped near Temnin el Fuca, a name which the boys have simplified a good deal for the sake of convenience and spelling. They call it Jacksonville. Sounds a little strangely here in the valley of Lebanon, but it has the merit of being easier to remember than the Arabic name. Come like spirits, so depart. The night shall be filled with music, and the cares that infest the day shall fold their tents like the Arabs and silently steal away i slept very soundly last night yet when the dragoman's bell rang at half past five this morning and the cry went abroad for ten minutes to dress for breakfast i heard both it surprised me because i have not heard the breakfast gong in the ship for a month and whenever we had the occasion to fire a salute at daylight I've only found it out in the course of conversation afterward. However, camping out, even though it be in a gorgeous tent, makes one fresh and lively in the morning, especially if the air you are breathing is the cool, fresh air of the mountains. I was dressed within the ten minutes and came out. The saloon tent had been stripped of its sides and had nothing left but its roof. So when we sat down to table we could look out over the whole noble panorama of mountain, sea, and hazy valley. And sitting thus the sun rose slowly up and suffused the picture with a world of rich coloring. Hot mutton chops, fried chicken, omelets, fried potatoes and coffee all excellent this was the bill of fare it was sauced with a savage appetite purchased by hard riding the day before and refreshing sleep in the pure atmosphere as i called for a second cup of coffee i glanced over my shoulder and behold our white village was gone The splendid tents had vanished like magic. It was wonderful how quickly those Arabs had folded their tents, and it was wonderful also how quickly they gathered the thousand odds and ends of the camp together and disappeared with them. By half-past six we were underway, and all the Syrian world seemed to be underway also. The road was filled with mule trains and long procession of camels. This reminds me that we've been trying for some time to think what a camel looks like. Now we've made it out. When he is down on his, all his knees, flat on his breast to receive his load, he looks something like a goose swimming. When he is upright, he looks like an ostrich with an extra set of legs. Camels are not beautiful, and they're long, under-lip gives them an exceedingly gallus, excuse the slang, no other word will describe it, expression. They have immense, flat, forked cushions of feet that make a track in the dust like a pie with a slice cut out of it. They are not particular about their diet. They would eat a tombstone if they could bite it. A thistle grows about here which has needles on it that would pierce through leather. I think if one touches you, you can find relief in nothing but profanity. The camels eat these. They show by their actions that they enjoy them. I suppose it would be a real treat to a camel to have a keg of nails for supper. While I am speaking of animals, I will mention that I have a horse now by the name of Jericho. He is a mare. I have seen remarkable horses before, but none so remarkable as this. I wanted a horse that would shy, and this one fills the bill. I had an idea that shying indicated spirit. If I was correct, I have got the most spirited horse on earth. HE SHIES AT EVERYTHING HE COMES ACROSS WITH THE UTMOST IMPARTIALITY. HE APPEARS TO HAVE A MORTAL DREAD OF TELEGRAPH POLES, AND it is FORTUNATE THESE ARE ON BOTH SIDES OF THE ROAD BECAUSE, AS IT IS NOW, I NEVER FALL OFF TWICE IN SUCCESSION ON THE SAME SIDE. IF I FELL ON THE SAME SIDE ALWAYS IT WOULD GET MONOTONOUS AFTER A WHILE. THIS CREATURE IS SCARED AT EVERYTHING HE HAS SEEN TODAY, EXCEPT A HAYSTACK. HE WALKED UP TO THAT WITH AN intrepidity AND RECKLESSNESS THAT WERE ASTONISHING. AND IT WILL FILL ANYONE WITH ADMIRATION TO SEE HOW HE PRESERVES HIS SELF-POSSESSION IN THE PRESENCE OF A BARLEY SACK. THIS daredevil BRAVERY WILL BE THE DEATH OF THIS HORSE SOME DAY. HE IS NOT PARTICULARLY FAST, BUT I THINK HE WILL GET ME THROUGH THE HOLY LAND. HE HAS ONLY ONE FAULT. HIS TAIL HAS BEEN CHOPPED OFF, OR ELSE HE SAT DOWN ON IT TOO HARD SOMETIME OR OTHER. AND HE HAS THE FIGHT LIES WITH HIS HEELS. THIS IS ALL VERY WELL, BUT WHEN HE TRIES TO KICK A FLY OFF THE TOP OF HIS HEAD WITH HIS HIND FOOT IT IS TOO MUCH VARIETY. He's going to get himself into trouble that way some day. He reaches around and bites my legs, too. I do not particularly care about that, only I do not like to see a horse too sociable. I think the owner of this price had the wrong opinion of him. He had an idea. He was one of those fiery, untamed steeds. But he is not of that character. I know the Arab had this idea, because when he brought the horse out for inspection in Beirut, he kept jerking at the bridle and shouting in Arabic, "'Ho! Will you? Do you want to run away, you ferocious beast, and break your neck?' When all the time the horse was not doing anything in the world and only looked like he wanted to lean up against something and think, Whenever he's not shying at things or reaching after a fly, he wants to do that yet. It would surprise this owner to know this. We've been in a historical section of the country all day. At noon we camped three hours and took luncheon at Mexi near the junction of the Lebanon mountains and the Jebel de Kunayashi Look down into the immense level garden like valley of Lebanon. Tonight we are camping near the same valley and have a very wide sweep of it in view. We can see the long whale backed ridge of Mount Hermon projecting above the eastern hills. The dews of Hermon are falling upon us now, and the tents are almost soaked with them. over the way from us and higher up the valley we can discern through the glasses the faint outlines of the wonderful ruins of Baalbek the supposed baal gad of scripture joshua and another person were the two spies who were sent into this land of canaan by the children of israel to report upon its character I mean, they were the spies who reported favorably. They took back with them some specimens of the grapes of this country, and in the children's picture books they're always represented as bearing one monstrous bunch swung to a pole between them, a respectable load for a pack-train. The Sunday school books exaggerated it a little. The grapes are most excellent to this day, but the bunches are not as large as those in the pictures. I was surprised and hurt when I saw them, because those colossal bunches of grapes were one of my most cherished juvenile traditions. Joshua reported favorably, and the children of Israel journeyed on, and with Moses at the head of the general government, and Joshua in command of the army of six hundred thousand fighting men. Of women and children and civilians there was a countless swarm. Of all that mighty host, none but the two faithful spies ever lived to set their feet in the promised land. They and their descendants wandered forty years in the desert, and then Moses— the gifted warrior poet statesman and philosopher went up into the pisgah and met his mysterious fate where he was buried no man knows for no man dug that sepulchre and no man saw it e'er for the sons of god upturned the sod that laid the dead man there then Joshua began his terrible raid, and from Jericho, clear to this Balgad, he swept the land like the genius of destruction. He slaughtered the people, laid waste their soil, and raised their cities to the ground. He wasted thirty-one kings also. One may call it that, though really it can hardly be called wasting them, because there were always plenty of kings in those days and to spare at any rate he destroyed thirty-one kings and divided up their realms among his israelites he divided up this valley stretched out here before us and so it was once jewish territory the jews have long since disappeared from it however back yonder an hour's journey from here We passed through an Arab village of stone dry-goods boxes. They look like that. Where Noah's tomb lies under lock and key, Noah built the ark. Over these old hills and valleys, the ark that contained all that was left of a vanished world once floated. I make no apology for detailing the above information. It will be news to some of my readers, at any rate. NOAH'S TOMB IS BUILT OF STONE, AND IS COVERED WITH A LONG STONE BUILDING. BUCKSHEESH LET US IN. THE BUILDING HAD TO BE LONG, BECAUSE THE GRAVE OF THE HONORED OLD NAVIGATOR IS TWO HUNDRED AND TEN FEET LONG ITSELF. IT IS ONLY ABOUT FOUR FEET HIGH, THOUGH. HE MUST HAVE CAST A SHADOW LIKE A LIGHTNING ROD. The proof that this is the genuine spot where Noah was buried can only be doubted by uncommonly incredulous people. The evidence is pretty straight. Shem, the son of Noah, was present at the burial and showed the place to his descendants, who transmitted the knowledge to their descendants, and the lineal descendants of these introduce themselves to us today. It was pleasant to make the acquaintance of members of so respectable a family. It is a thing to be proud of. It was the next thing to being acquainted with Noah himself. Noah's memorable voyage will always possess a living interest for me, henceforward. If ever an oppressed race existed, it is the one we see fettered around us, under the inhuman tyranny of the ottoman empire i wish europe would let russia annihilate turkey a little not much but enough to make it difficult to find the place again without a divining rod or a diving bell the syrians are very poor and yet they are ground down by a system of taxation that would drive any other nation frantic Last year their taxes were heavy enough, in all conscience, but this year they've been increased by the addition of taxes that were forgiven them in times of famine in former years. On top of this, the government has levied a tax of one-tenth of the whole proceeds of the land. This is only half the story. The Pasha of the Pashalik does not trouble himself with "'appointing tax collectors. "'He figures up what all these taxes ought to amount to "'in a certain district. "'Then he farms the collection out. "'He calls the rich men together, "'and the highest bidder gets the speculation, "'pays the pasha the spot, "'and then sells out to the smaller fry, "'who sell in turn to a piratical horde of still smaller fry.' These latter compel the peasant to bring his little trifle of grain to the village at his own cost. It must be weighed, the various taxes set apart, and the remainder returned to the producer. But the collector delays this duty day after day while the producer's family are perishing for bread. At last the poor wretch, who cannot but understand the game, says, "'Take a quarter!' Take half, take two-thirds, if you will, and let me go. It is the most outrageous state of things. These people are naturally good-hearted and intelligent, and with education and liberty would be a happy and contented race. They often appeal to the stranger to know if the great world will not some day come to their relief and save them the sultan has been lavishing money like water in england and paris but his subjects are suffering for it now this fashion of camping out bewilders me we have boot jacks and a bathtub and yet all the mysteries of the pack mules carry are not revealed what next End of chapter 42, recording by B. Scott Holmes, bscottholmes.com.